Well, this past week, we just got through teaching the book of Daniel in Guatemala. And, you know, there's, there's several phrases that always jump out to me from that book that, you know, it's kind of like the theme, you know, not necessarily of the book. I realize there's lots of visions and, you know, last day uh, interpretations. But, but for me, one of the best things about that book is, is the testimony of Daniel because he was known as a man of an excellent spirit. Or they would also say, he's one in whom the spirit of the holy gods dwell. And, you know, that obvious observation came from these heathen kings. So they saw a good testimony. They saw something different, something excellent and superior in, in Daniel's life. And, of course, there's, very, there's several instances of his life you could bring out that would apply to that. Um, but I just want to consider the first time we see that was this excellent spirit, you could say, is when Daniel and his friends arrive in Babylon. And, of course, they're preparing to be chosen to serve in the court of the king. You know, but the problem is the king's chamberlain or his supervisor wanted them to eat the king's meat. And, of course, the problem with that, there's two problems. It, it wasn't Levitical in the sense it wasn't drained of the blood when it was killed. So, you know, that it, it didn't qualify in that sense, but it, but it also was offered unto idols. And so there's things that would have defiled them according to the law and would have separated them from, from God. Of course, that, you know, that's really the whole goal of the world is to try to bring things into our lives that will defile us and separate us from God, from his presence um, to some degree or another. You know, if an Old Testament Israelite became ritually defiled, they ate something unclean or came near a dead body, they'd have to leave the camp. So they'd have to leave the people of God until they became clean, until they were cleansed. And, you know, there's many things in the world that would seek to separate us from the presence of God. I mean, you know, many people have developed relationships where it's like, Almost like we're, you know, you have to choose this or you choose God because they're not compatible. Or maybe it's led them away from a love of holiness because they're having to compromise on that. You know, of course, there's many other things, distractions and hobbies, but really it's anything that will cause our love to turn from hot to a reduction, right? To lukewarm as it was for the Laodiceans. Or, or for Ephesus, right? considering these churches of uh, Revelation, right? they burned so brightly for God, but they started to lose their focus. And, and even just doing good activities caused them to lose their focus. And it became a replacement for loving God himself. And the warning for them was, I'm going to remove my candlestick, which to me, that's unthinkable. You know, that's the scariest outcome because it's the removal of the presence of God. And, but that's why Daniel and his friends, they were willing to be tested because they, they were willing to do anything to remain in the presence of God and to have the presence of God with them because there they were in captivity in a foreign land and the presence of God was what mattered most to them. And so they kept, said to the king's chamberlain, test us for 10 days. You know, we're going to consider Israel in a, in a minute. And they were the opposite. They were like, God, stop testing us. 
but God didn't stop, and they failed their test 10 times. But Daniel and company embraced it. They were like, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever I have to go through, whatever situation, because they, they recognized standing with God and following the Lamb you know, in obedience through whatever situation is worth more than anything they could obtain in life, more than anything this world could offer. And of course, we know the story of that, uh, of, at least with Daniel, is they came out of that testing more healthy and strong than any of the other candidates. But that's not the end of the story because then they appeared before the king and he proclaimed them 10 times better than any other candidate. And, you know, that's the spiritual reality is those who have eyes to see that the testing is worthwhile and they submit to the 10 days. You know, 10 speaks of the law. When they submit to being worked in according to the law, according to the ways of God, we come out 10 times better in God's sight. And that's encouraging to know also that the days are numbered, right? It's not 11 days. It's definitely not 15 days. It's, it's numbered according to God's way and God's plan. And so, you know, Daniel and his friends throughout the whole book show us many examples of being those with an excellent spirit, those who are willing to do what it takes to follow the Lamb. Now, I wanted to look at uh, uh, another story from the Old Testament kind of for the rest of the time because there's a couple of people who had a very similar phrase. I think it's almost like a synonym, if you could say that, because Caleb and Joshua, it says they had another spirit or a different spirit. And the context was this, their spirit of faith compared with the 10 spies, right? And, and we could read that about them in Numbers 14, where it says, my servant Caleb, and I, you could include Joshua in this as well. Numbers 14, 24, my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has fully f uh, followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his seed shall possess it. So Caleb and Joshua, they had another spirit or they displayed a different spirit than the rest of those 10 spies and really the rest of Israel. You know, and, you know, we could talk a little bit about that story in Numbers 14 about they're, they're at Kadesh Barnea after two years of, of it, you know, being tested in the wilderness and most of the generation, well, everyone except for Caleb and Joshua failed that, that test. And so they're sent, 12 spies are sent into the land to check it out and they see it is a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, it's a good land. God has, is bringing us into a good place. But, you know, those 10 spies said, you also need to hear about the giants and we need to focus on them and, and you know, look at them pretty hard, you know, because they're huge and their cities are walled and we can't defeat them. You know, what's really strange is that everything they said was true. They didn't really lie, 
right? I mean, everything they said, the Giants were big, they had walled cities, and they really couldn't defeat them on their own. But it, the main difference with that spirit was that they chose to look at it through the eyes of man, whereas Caleb and Joshua chose to look at it through the eyes of God. And of course, that that testimony of looking at through the eyes of man was very infectious, and the whole uh, of the generation received that testimony and walked in that instead of with the testimony of Caleb and Joshua, right? Because their perspective, instead of looking at the problem, they chose to look at the solution. They chose to look at their God, who they believed was greater than the problem, right? And, and Numbers 14, verses 7 through 9 it says, the land which we pass through to search it is exceeding good. And if the Lord delight in us, then he'll bring us into this land and he'll give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. They're bred for us. Their defense is departed from them and the Lord is with us. Fear not them. You know, everything they said was true, except they were saying it from a, a perception of, the Lord is with us. Yes, they're big, but they're bred for us. You know, they've done the work. They established the cities. The walled cities will now be ours, except for the walls that fell down at Jericho, right? Because God is with us. And so they had a different reaction to that, looking with eyes of faith. And so God said, they have a different spirit. Or from the context of Daniel, they have an excellent spirit because of how they responded. Of course, that caused only those two who had the excellent spirit to go in, but that's the message for us. Who qualifies to go into the inheritance and the land of promise? It's the ones with the excellent spirit, with a different spirit of faith. And so how important it is for us to develop the different spirit, the excellent spirit, of course, you know, what we're talking about is our reaction to the giants, our reaction to the, to the situations that are bigger than us, and that so often, and really all the time, that it's the situations that God leads us through that are the giants, that are, you know, what is large. But in reality, the giants are preparing an inheritance for us if we can follow God. But it's so essential that when we're in that, we have those eyes of faith that we're looking to the God is bigger than us. You know, but Israel was never able to do that. They were never able to defeat their enemies. And I remember one young, young man in particular, and he would come to me over and over again, kind of saying, I have this giant, and I've got this enemy, and I've got this problem in my life, and I've tried everything. Nothing works. That always kind of got to me because I'm like, wow, because, you know, I took him at face value. It doesn't work. Oh, wow. And I kind of remember being astonished and kind of going to the Lord and say, Lord, we're, we're speaking the truth to him. You know, the things we're saying are true, but why, why isn't it working with him? And I get, began to realize over time, it wasn't the enemy that was so big in his life. It was really that when it came down to it, he didn't really believe that God was big enough to defeat his enemies. And I remember a certain day, things kind of came to a head, and the Lord spoke to us. 
and said he's failed trial after trial. He failed his 10 tests in the wilderness, and he's not able to go in. And the Lord moved him on somewhere else. But it kind of comes back to those words in Hebrews. right? Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. And I, you know, what pleases God the most is for us to come into our inheritance, into the fullness of what he has. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Or I think you could also say follow or obey him. But we have to believe in who he is. And the implication is he's bigger. He's greater. He is able to bring us into land and give it to us. And so, you know, God wants this belief in the core of who we are. And I've kind of come to realize we're kind of like onions in that sense, is that you peel a layer and you think, you know, you've dealt with something. You peel that off and what do you find? Another layer. And so many times we're just, we're just walking with God and, and, and God has to kind of keep going layer after layer till he gets to the center. And, and that's why there's 10 trials. Right, <laughs> because there's I don't know how many layers there are in the onion. Seems like around ten. I've never counted them, but you deal with one thing, and it's like, okay, Lord, new level, new layer. But yet, when we have that that spirit, okay, Lord, it's a new one, and you're going to lead me. You're going to deal with this. You're going to bring me through. But it's so important to have that belief deep within us to have this that spirit upon us because. It's that spirit that's going to determine whether we win or whether we wander. Israel could never get that spirit, so they always wandered. Caleb and Joshua received that spirit, and they entered the promised land, and they obtained their inheritance. You know, we're going to face a, a lot of problems in our personal lives. We're going to face a lot of problems as a church. We're going to face a lot of problems in the world, especially in the last days. And if we don't have that spirit, it's going to be a difficult experience. But I was just kind of considering, how can we develop this spirit? And I I kind of felt two things, two main things anyway. There's a lot that goes into having this, but, but two main things. The first one is having our eyes on eternity or having our eyes looking from the perspective of the Lord. You know, the 10 spies, they looked through natural eyes. The two, Caleb and Joshua, they were looking totally at God and believing that he would would get them through. They didn't know how, they just trusted. These people are bred for us. You know, everything they've done is for our good. And God's leading us against them for our good because we're going to take whatever they have. You know, and that's how they were able to look at the situation. I don't know how we're going to defeat them. That's the plan of that's God's battle plan. He'll give it to us when we need it. But when we conquer them, we're, we're, we get what they have and it's ours. You know, and so the thing is, we have to have our eyes upon heaven, the promises of God, but not on what we see in the natural now, just reminded of, of Stephen, when he was before his accusers 
it's almost like he wasn't paying attention to them. And they were there accusing him, picking up stones, ready to throw it at him. And it's like he wasn't even looking at him because where was his eyes? All of a sudden he's proclaiming, you know, and this is in Acts 7 verse 55. He said, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly to heaven. It's like his eyes were fixed upon heaven. He wasn't even paying attention to the people that were about to stone him. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. You know, he had a, a literal vision of heaven, but I think that was more a fulfillment of what he was doing in his life is he didn't care what they were going to do, what they said. He just cared about how God was leading him. And that culminated in a literal vision. Look, you know, of his eyes steadfastly set upon heaven. And, you know, that's such a key in our lives is that if our eyes are on the circumstances that we're in, we just see the giants and that's all we'll ever see. But if our eyes are upon Jesus through faith and we see the one who's greater than all of the giants, then he leads us in. He gives us the battle plan. He leads us to victory, you know? And so I, I think Stephen's a model in that sense of what the church is going to experience. We're going to experience persecution. We're going to experience, you know, things that we just cannot even imagine that we're going to go through. But in one sense, it doesn't matter because God is, has orchestrated every single event and there's a way to victory in every single one even if it's the cross, even if it's martyrdom, that is the victory, you know? And so he'll be our source of provision, protection, direction, our all in all. You know, I was reading a, a book called The Heavenly Man, and it was about a, a man named Brother Yoon. And of course, this was back in the 50s and 60s when communism had just arisen. And, and I mean, they basically just tried to eradicate Christianity, burned all the Bibles, and so here's a man coming to Christ and that he literally had no Bible to read. He just, God had moved upon him and, you know, he had received Christ. But, and so what did he do? He just, he didn't know any Bibles that even existed anymore. I mean, they were out there, but they were all buried in backyards, you know? And so he was praying, Lord, give me a Bible. And he prayed and he fasted, you know, for months till one day someone met him on the road randomly and just, well, I don't know if it wasn't random on his part because the Lord was directing him. And he said, God spoke to me to give, give this Bible to you, you know? And so he was able to read that. And he basically, it was so precious to him that he memorized large portions of it because he was going to go to jail for a lot of years afterwards. And that blessed him, you know, but he proclaimed Christ in the nations. Of course, the authorities kind of kept trying to arrest him right and left. And, but Sometimes they got him. Sometimes he was able to just slip away. They actually said one time he just slipped out a car door and over a wall. People who saw him didn't think anyone could jump over a wall that tall. But he did that. You know, it's like he was able to do things because his eyes were just upon the Lord in, in impossible situations in a time of darkness. You know, when you think about the last days, it's going to be an intense time. In fact, I, once I was watching kind of a you know, documentary about how scary government is and surveillance and all that stuff. 
you know, and, and you could almost kind of feel the fear like, oh, what's going to happen when, you know, the government's tracking us and everything. And thankfully, in our, we know they're tracking us in our nation, but it's to try and make money off of us. But in other nations, they're tracking us for control, tracking people for control. I mean, that's literally taking place. And, you know, you might say, well, how, how are we going to preach in those nations? How are we going to minister? How are we going to do that? And the answer for my answer is, I don't know. But I know someone who does. You know, and whatever obstacles we face, they're no bigger than the giants that Israel was facing to come into the land, to the land of promise. And the response of Caleb and Joshua, that is there bread for us. That's just an opportunity for God's testimony to be greater. You know, and so that, you know, if we delight in him, he is able to give us the land, the land of promise for our lives, for our church and fellowship, for our nation. You know, there's a reference to Song of Solomon that we could bring out, which is really speaking of the church as his bride, you know, where it says, behold, you are fair, my love, behold, you are fair, you have dove's eyes. You know, that really speaks of the people of God having eyes only for him. You know, of course, dove's, dove's eyes, as is often mentioned, they, they only allow them, you know, physically to look at and focus on one thing at a time. You know, I'm really bad at multitasking. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of have to think about one thing. And sometimes I have to put on noise canceling headphones so that I can really focus on that one thing. But that's, that's how we have to be in the spirit, you know, in the spiritual realm, you know, we have to, we can only really give ourselves, our lives, our emotions, our ambition, our love to one thing effectively, and that's to the Lord. Because when there's a reduction in that, there's a reduction in our spiritual life, in our light, in our strength, and so forth. And so that's so essential that we develop those dove's eyes. The second aspect, we'll kind of close on this, but, but we have to have those hearts that ultimately believe who God is. You know, when we're in a trial, we can start to get worried and feel down. You know, when we're, when we're honest with ourselves, we realize the problem is in how we're viewing God, right? Our natural man wants to say, sometimes we want to say, God, this isn't really fair. You know, this, this situation is too hard. It's overwhelming. You know, it's, and, and our natural man really just wants to say to God, Lord, this isn't fair. But that is the viewpoint that has to be put to death in us. You know, when we allow those kind of thoughts to live, it attracts the wrong spirits, right? Doubt and fear and worry and, and so forth. But when we cultivate the right thoughts of God, it attracts his heart. And that's how we get the battle plan to overcome. Psalm 33, 18 it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and that hope in his mercy. You know, that relates really closely to Hebrews 1, that we have to, Hebrews 11, that we have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so, you know, I've come to realize he will be what we believe him and declare him to be. 
right? If in our, it might not even be out loud, but if in our spirits we're saying, Lord, this isn't fair, but what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, you're not fair, right? But they, they come, but we got to put those to death and then immediately turn around and say, no, Lord, you're good. You're leading us in a good way. You know, I'm going to trust you. This is a hard situation. I mean, we can be honest and say, Lord, this is totally overwhelming. Lord, this is hard. But I'm going to trust that you're going to lead us in a good way. And that, this, that my enemy, those giants, they're going to be bread for me at the end of the day. And then we have to maintain that. That's, that's the real thing. We can have moments of victory, but we have to maintain it. And that, I think that's really where the challenge is. I mean, Israel had moments of victory, but they never really tried to maintain that spirit within them. But Caleb and Joshua, they maintained it for the two years. Then they maintained it for another 38 years. And they, they held steady. They made that determination. They saw many people in their generation just falling away. You know, David made that same determination. He said in Psalm 91, 7, he said, A thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but not me. It's not going to come near me because I'm dwelling in the secret place of the Almighty. I'm going to, I'm going to stay under his shadow. I'm going to trust in him. And so they believed, you know, Caleb and Joshua, they believed because of that spirit within him. And they made that their declaration. And they entered in 38 years later. You know, of that verse that we read, Numbers 14, 8, if the Lord delight in us, he will bring us into this land. He'll give it to us, that land that flows with milk and honey. And so this different spirit, this excellent spirit that we saw upon Daniel and his friends, the different spirit upon Caleb and Joshua, that's something that the Lord wants to develop in us, and he wants it to be maintained. You know, Daniel and his friends, they were willing to be tested that those 10 days. But if we will allow God to test us, to peel back each layer, we're going to come out 10 times better. And it's the 10 times better that allows us to conquer the giants that are 10 times larger than us. But we do it when we follow the Lamb and we have those eyes of faith. And so, you know, let's ask God today. Lord, put that excellent spirit, that different spirit within us. Give us eyes of faith that we can believe you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you and diligently follow the Lamb wherever he leads. Lord, we ask that this morning. Lord, we... We see things with our natural eyes. We confess that. And Lord, sometimes the things we see are overwhelming. They're alarming. Lord, they're greater than us. But yet, Lord, we, we finish our testimony by saying that you're greater. Lord, we're trusting you. We're believing in you. And Lord, we just cry out to you that you'd put that spirit within us. And that, Lord, you'd help us to endure these times of testing. We even just, like Daniel, Lord, we say and we welcome it, Lord, test us and try us, Lord, because you're going to give us grace to come out changed and transformed, that we're 10 times better, 10 times stronger 
Lord, that we can enter into the land. Lord, just put that spirit within us. Help us to maintain it. We ask, oh Lord, that we could come into that land of milk and honey and you would give it to us. We ask, oh, and we love you, Lord. We bless you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.